Welcome to Listen with Lewis. My name is Rob Stevens, and I am the Member Services Manager at Lewis. Today I'm here with Lauren McAdams, who is the Reference Librarian, and Carla Stewart, who is the Access Services Librarian, both at Baton Rouge Community College. Lauren and Carla have both recently and are currently leading a series of professional development sessions for faculty at Baton Rouge Community College about ChatGPT and how it can affect the classroom. I'm very excited to talk to them about this topic. This is a huge topic, and today we're really going to focus in on what does ChatGPT mean for libraries and what does it mean for faculty and in the classroom. How are y'all doing today, Lauren and Carla? Doing great. Good. Thanks so much for joining us. So I think in order to start and kind of set up the context for this podcast, I think the best thing to do is to start by just kind of defining what ChatGPT is. So um, ChatGPT is an example of a large language model. This is a type of AI that reads and interprets texts, and it predicts speech in order to sound the way a human would sound when it's <laughs> when they are writing or speaking. So LLM, which is what which is a large language model, they work by being fed tons of data and information from various sources, from the internet, from books, you name it. This once it gathers all this information, that's what it uses to spit out answers to the questions or prompts that you give it. And Lauren always says that it works very similar to autocorrect on your phone in that it just predicts the next word to come. It's not actually thinking, but it just predicts the way it thinks a human would respond or answer a question. So what does this ChatGPT mean for libraries? Can you explain a little bit about how this is already starting to affect libraries and some of the concerns that have arisen due to this? Well, I think some of the underlying concerns for for libraries and librarians, or at least for me as an instructor, is the idea that, well, chat, the fact that ChatGPT can produce misinformation or false information and create it and present it in a way that makes it look authoritative and factual. So that's a serious problem. Another problem is that to me in library instruction, we talk so much about citation and crediting your sources and attributing ideas. And ChatGPT pulls from a vast pool of information that you know we don't know what all of, all of its sources are, except that it comes from the internet. And it, it scrapes all of these words and all of this writing and then presents it in a new format without giving you any clue as to where the information came from. It doesn't do any kind of fact checking. Also, a really troubling thing that a librarian named Curtis Kendrick found is that if you press ChatGPT to cite sources, if you say, give me a list of citations, it will give you citations and they will be invented. And it will it will attribute articles to real people, articles that those people never wrote. It, it makes up titles, it makes up journals, and formats them in an official-looking way. So that's really troubling. Yeah. So can you guys describe a little bit some of the professional development sessions that you have already and are currently holding with the faculty at Baton Rouge Community College? Um, sure. So our, we had one with all the faculty over Zoom where we sort of, like I did, gave an overview of what ChatGPT is, what it does, its potential problems, and offered some ideas about how faculty can possibly embrace it or 
forbid it, its use in the classroom. We talked about how faculty should be including it in their syllabus statements now and deciding whether they want to allow students to use it at all. That's one option, whether they want to completely forbid it or whether they want to allow limited use, meaning that they would have certain assignments on which students were allowed to use ChatGPT and they would assume, you know, grade it accordingly grade their assignments based on the the knowledge that they had used AI in part to complete it. So, yeah. So one of the options you laid out was, you know, how much like the use case in the classroom, do you use it to assist learning? And then what are some of the warnings that you might give to faculty about this device? So one being misinformation. How is that? How have you seen that play itself out in terms of the classroom or how, what should faculty be aware of or do in light of that knowledge that this might you know, ChatGPT or other large language models, LLMs, as you said, might produce misinformation? Well, I think that's really something for faculty to convey to their students. And that's something we talked about in our session is that don't assume that students really understand what ChatGPT is and what its limitations are, that you need to talk to them about that and tell them that they are ultimately responsible for what they turn in. Right. And for the problem of the um, the fake citations, my suggestion was instead of just saying, you know, have your students turn in a paper with, with the work cited at the end, you're going to have to take the extra step of asking them to turn in a screenshot of the first page of each article because no faculty member is, is ever going to have the time to go through and look up each journal and see if the article really exists. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah, make them prove that they're pulling from a real journal rather than, yeah, because it's impossible to check in a composition class, 20, sometimes 25 students work cited and go to each work cited to make sure that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. What other kind of questions are you seeing from instructors about ChatGPT or what examples of it are you seeing from students or instructors in terms of use cases, whether they're positive or negative? Well, a lot of questions about how can faculty know for sure if a student used an AI to complete an assignment. Is there an answer to that yet? (laughs) Not for sure. There's not a way to know for sure, but there are AI detection sites online that you can use. When I've tried it, I've gotten both false positives and false negatives. So we're advising faculty to try multiple, to feed an assignment into multiple different ones and If two or three of the four that you try flag it as AI, that's probably a good indication that it likely was AI generated. Do you have the names of some of those that you would recommend or ones that you've seen work better or worse? Well, one of the the older ones that seems to work fairly well is Glitter, G-L-T-R. And then there was it Copy Leaks has one. Mm -hmm. GPT-0, I find, honestly, has, has had the most issues. I unfortunately have had occasion to use all of those detectors in my class, which is just a, a research skills class. And I mean, I find that students are going to chat GPT to have it write their discussion board responses for them. And then they copy paste that verbatim into the discussion board. So in light of this, which, you know, the more students kind of figure out that they can do this, the more they become apt to it and the more it potentially hopefully doesn't become normalized, but potentially becomes normalized for students or they feel like it's normal to do this. How do you think that might change assessment in the classroom or assessing students, I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, and we, I haven't, and we, I think we, meaning faculty at large, haven't really had time to respond yet completely, but I think it's going to change the types of assignments that we give. Mm-hmm. For me, it makes some of the discussions that I had for my online class to do, you know, if students really are just going to treat that as just a chore and just copy paste something in there, then it's not a valuable exercise anymore. Right. Short answer questions are kind of, unless they're doing it in person, then that's something that's so easy for ChatGPT to do, just a short answer. So you need to ask for more personal reflection, mm-hmm. have more questions that that look directly at things you've done in class, where it wouldn't be just a rote answer. It would be something specific to the context of the class or the student. And you would look for those details. It would tell you the student was really, truly engaged. One of the concerns that's arisen surrounding ChatGPT and also other artificial intelligence, large language models, or I don't know what the term for these is, but the ones that create art, the art generating ones, right? Like Dolly Mm -hmm. is an example of this is copyright has become a huge issue. And it's obviously something that librarians are very concerned with. From my understanding is that these large language models are trained on a body of, a large body of data from the internet, text from the internet, or in the case of the the ones that create images, they're trained on images that are out there on the internet. Mm -hmm. And then inevitably, if you type in, you know, if I were an artist and you typed in, make a piece of art that looks like the kind of art that I make, that Rob Stevens makes, it could generate that. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of questions about copyright in this. Who owns the thing that ChatGPT, I hesitate to use the word creates, but spits <laughs> out when you ask it to write a paragraph. So how can you at this moment, because I know that this is changing rapidly, but what is your understanding of copyright at this moment? And what should librarians start to know or start to understand in order to begin to understand this issue, which is very new? I think it's some of this probably is maybe yet to be legislated, but the most recent statement that I've read from the U.S. Copyright Office is that work produced by machines or that's not produced by humans is not copyrightable. So if an individual, say an artist, has something that they've produced that they upload to ChatGPT, well, or to to Dali or to MidJourney, to one of the art generators... And and then they ask that to create variations or to change certain elements of it, then the piece that the human created can be under copyright. But the machine produced work is sort of in the public domain. Okay. Now, I mean, it, and like I said, that there could be a different determination on that. But there's the big underlying issue of what about all those creators? What about all the artists? What about all the, the writers who wrote things that are online? that ChatGPT has scraped. They didn't give their consent for that, and they're not getting any profit from the use of it. Yeah, for sure. So something I wanted to maybe change the direction of this conversation just a little bit, but I think Mm -hmm. it's easy with ChatGPT to get stuck talking about kind of the negative aspects of it as we Mm -hmm. see it, right? So students using it and to whether it's plagiarism or whether it's academic dishonesty, but to to do their homework for them, the ways in which we find it dangerous. But what are some maybe positive applications for ChatGPT or for these large language models that you either currently see in use in the classroom or in libraries or that you could potentially envision? 
So I'll just I'll just start and I'll let Carla jump in. But yeah, I think one suggestion that I read was to to try to get ChatGPT to produce something that maybe has factual errors or, or biases or, or various issues, and then present that to students as you're teaching them about the issues with how ChatGPT works, and have them say, "Look at this sample. Can you fact check it? Can you?" possibly identify sources or correct errors. So to have something that they can critique, to have that be a way for them to learn about how all this works and to start analyzing writing. Right. So use it as, as a, to teach it with li- a lot of librarians do information literacy basically. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really good, that's a really great idea. Carlo, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think that using it to create a rough draft that you can then edit and improve and work on and use it to learn about proper citation, how to find good sources and how to avoid junk sources that are out there and that ChatGPT is producing. So what else do you think that librarians and faculty may want to know about ChatGPT? Well, one thing that I'll say is that I think something that faculty are looking for is how to talk to students about ChatGPT generally and what kind of statement to give either in a syllabus or you know at, at some point at the outset of the class. And basically what we found is you know different faculty will have different approaches. Some people won't some won't want it at all. Some are going to be more permissive, but we recommend strongly that faculty lay out what their expectations are. Don't assume that students know what is or isn't allowed. So tell them what you expect for your class. Make sure that's clear. Reiterate that whenever it becomes relevant. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because if you're not having those types of communications with your students, either in your syllabus or in frank conversation at the beginning of the semester, then they're not going to know what to expect. And and. I think it's relatively reasonable to not expect them to make it to your homework, but <laughs> it's not terribly unreasonable that a student would perhaps think it was okay to do that, even though mm-hmm. I think most faculty members would automatically sort of say, no, that's not okay, you know, unless I give you express permission. Yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a student who, with good intention, might think that they're doing something okay, uh, especially mm-hmm. if they see their peers doing it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that that kind of very explicit conversation and guidelines Mm -hmm. or even rules about it makes a lot of sense. Also, I'll mention that uh, in our faculty workshop, one of the faculty members sort of compared ChatGPT to Spellcheck, how when Spellcheck came out, everyone was up in arms, no one's going to learn how to spell anymore, you know? (laughs) Um, And I don't remember what, if there was this sort of reaction to Grammarly, when it mm-hmm. first came about, but when I was in grad school, we were encouraged to run all our assignments through Grammarly before we turn them in. And so while it feels like kind of insurmountable right now, I'm sure we'll figure out how to work with ChatGPT over time. Sure. You know, it's just very new. So we, you know, we feel overwhelmed and like we don't know how to use it to our advantage, but right. I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, I've heard it compared to those things as well as compared to calculators, right? And when calculators mm-hmm. came out, I think people thought that was the end of math class or something, you know, and um, clearly we use math, we use calculators as additive rather than as, you know, something that students will just automatically, automatically rely on. And all point, all signs point to ChatGPT being kind of like subpar at math at this point 
for whatever reason, it seems to kind of be bad at like higher level math. So, but GPT four is good at it. GPT four has made vast improvements, and if you don't know what we're talking about, GPT four is it's like a subscription model now that you can pay. That's a better chat GPT. Cause when you talk about chat GPT, usually we're talking about GPT three. It was already the third iteration of this. And so GPT four is a subscription model and it has performed extraordinarily well on like things like the GRE, the LSAT. I think in the LSAT, it was GPT three was like in the ninth percentile and GPT four was in the 90th percentile. So these, Ooh. these large language models are making vast improvements that could significantly affect how powerful they are in the classroom or in libraries or in other spaces as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about ChatGPT and your advice. I think that's all really good advice and things to pay attention to for librarians and faculty. So not only did I bring you here today to talk about ChatGPT, but I'm excited to play our first and maybe only iteration of Lewis Trivia featuring ChatGPT. So for our Lewis trivia today, I actually asked ChatGPT to write trivia questions for you. And I should warn you, as a diligent student of what you just said, that I did not fact check ChatGPT on these questions. I asked it, can you write me a real trivia question about ChatGPT and libraries? Notice that I put the word real in there to make sure that it would give me something that was factual. And here's a question for you. I think this is difficult, but maybe you guys will know the answer. So I'm going to ask you three of these. Hopefully this will be the most difficult one. And if you get two of the three correct, you will be winners and I will send you a GIF that maybe I'll try to use Dolly to create saying that Mm -hmm. you are the, the champions of library trivia, Lewis Library Trivia. So the first question is, what was the largest library ChatGPT was trained on before its release in 2020 and how many books did it contain? Now, this is hard. Normally, I make these multiple choice. Yeah, I was waiting for our options. I didn't specify that for ChatGPT, so it didn't give me a multiple choice. Don't worry. The next two are multiple choice, though. Was it the Internet Public Library and two million books? No, that's a really good guess, though. See, and this is the thing about ChatGPT trivia. I had no idea how this was going to go, so it might just <laughs> fall flat. The largest library ChatGPT was trained on before its release in 2020 was the Common Crawl Dataset which contained over 45 terabytes of web page data. However, it's worth noting that ChatGPT's training data also included a number of other sources such as books, scientific papers, and more. I did ask it what is the Common Crawl data set after that, and it was a long answer that I think is not uh, worth repeating here. But here, I asked it then because that wasn't a very funny one. So I said, can you write me another library trivia question that is a little bit funny and has three multiple choice possibilities? It said, sure, here's a funny multiple choice library trivia question for you. What do you call a book club that's been stuck on the same book for years? Is it A, a procrastination party, B, a literary limbo, or C, a reading rut? And then, as though it was proud of its question, it said, which option do you think is the correct answer? (laughs) Evidently, one of these is correct. I thought it was just asking my opinion when I asked it, though, there is a correct answer. I like the second and the third options. Okay, I think it's a reading rut. Okay, that's correct. It is a reading rut. Yes, okay. it's clever guess. It says that's I. I thought it was B, a literary limbo, mm-hmm. but it's actually a reading rut. 
A reading rut is a term used to describe a situation where a person or group of people have been reading the same type of books or the same book for an extended period of time. It can be difficult to break out of a reading rut and try new things, but doing so can help reading fresh and enjoyable. So if you find yourself in a reading rut, don't be afraid to mix things up and try something new. And I said, that seems subjective. It didn't like that I said that. (laughs) So I asked it for another silly trivia question. So this is your third one. Here's a silly trivia question. In what year was the oldest known overdue library book returned to its library? Was it A, in 1955, B, in 1975, or C, in 2020? I didn't ask it what the correct answer is, so I have to ask it that now. I was going to say 2020. What do you think, Lauren? I think it's 2020, because I feel like I remember reading a story about it. Okay. That's correct. The correct Mm -hmm. answer is 2020. The book, which is ironically titled 40 Minutes Late, was checked Mm -hmm. out from the Sydney Memorial Public Library in upstate New York in 1934. It was finally returned to the library 86 years later in 2020 by a woman who found it among her late mother's belongings. The library waived the overdue fee, which would have been over (laughs) $6,000, and the book is now part of the library's historical collection. Congratulations. You got two out of the three library chat GPT questions correct, and the only one you got wrong was very difficult. So way to go. You'll be receiving a gift from me in your inbox very shortly. So thank you guys so much for playing, and thank you so much for your advice about ChatGPT. And I just want to take a second to encourage our listeners, if they have questions about ChatGPT related to libraries, to feel free to reach out to me and I will be happy to try to answer them the best I can um, or to put you in touch with someone who can answer them, including but not limited to Carla and Lauren. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening with us today on this episode of Listen with Lewis. In two weeks, we'll be having an interview with Mike Waugh, who's the Library Services Platform Administrator at Lewis, in part of a series where we're going to be interviewing each of the Lewis team members to learn more about what they do in their everyday jobs. See you in two weeks.